So today we're going to be talking about the question, Jesus Christ, is he dead or alive? And, um, you know, not to sound weird or hyper-spiritual or anything, but before I ever give a, a message, I really pray a lot and I ask the Lord, I, I ask the Lord to give me his heart and to give me his word. Now, how many of you believe that God still wants to have a relationship with his kids today? He still wants to talk to his kids today. Now, the primary way that God talks to his kids is through the Bible, but also he speaks to us by his spirit as well. And so I just was asking the Lord, you know, what is your word? What, would, what do you want to speak on Easter Sunday? And the only thing that I kept coming up with was he just said, just tell the story. Just tell the story. And so I want you to understand that today I, I'm not bringing anything necessarily unique. I am not bringing anything fancy or outrageous. It is just merely the greatest story ever told. And so I have taken the, there, there are, um, if, you, if you know anything about the Bible, there's the Old Testament, which has 39 books, and then there's the New Testament, which has 27 books. And the first four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are called the Gospels, the good news. These are written by people who actually walked with Jesus, his disciples, and they give their different perspectives. So I've taken a compilation of all of the different gospels. I have been pouring over these, and I've tried to, to come up with a chronological order at, to tell you the story. And um, I'm a little nervous because I, I know there's so much that I'm going to have to leave out, but I just want to ask if you would pray with me and for me so that I could really speak his words and speak what he wants me to say. So would you indulge me by just praying with me? Hmm. Well, Lord, I, I just want to humble myself before you, Lord. We thank you that you are the great and awesome God and that your name is above every other name. And Lord, this morning as I share this, the greatest story ever told, I just ask that your spirit would pour out through me. Lord, that you would open the eyes of the blind, unstop the ears of the deaf. For those who have never heard this story, who don't understand why it is that we celebrate your resurrection, I ask, Lord, you would open their eyes and they would see it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm also going to talk about the resurrection because without the resurrection, there would be no Christianity. And, and I'll show you... Um, I'll show you what the Bible has to say about that and also that Jesus Christ is in fact alive and well and changing lives. He's still in the business of changing lives and blessing lives. So in the Old Testament, this was written, these are ancient um, stories that were written long before Jesus was born and in the Old Testament, there were, there were a lot of different laws. There were 630-some different laws that those who wanted to be kosher or wanted to be um, in line with, with the, the letter of the law, the, Israel, the Israelite people would have to follow these 630-some laws. And, they would, and they, some of them are just, you're like, wow, that, how difficult that would be at the time. Um, but... One of the things that would happen is that every year 
they would have to come in and bring a sacrifice. And their sacrifice always had to be perfect. It couldn't have any flaws or any blemishes. And so they would come in, and, and if you remember, if you've ever heard this story about the ten plagues, the last plague was the plague of the firstborn, where in, in Egypt, because Pharaoh would not let the Israelites leave. He was holding them captive. They were slaves, and, and he would not let the Israelites leave, even though God was telling him through Moses. And anybody heard of Moses? Yeah, Moses. And so... Um, so what would happen, what happened was the 10th plague, the angel of death came and took the firstborn from every one of the Israel or the um, Egyptian homes. But for the Israelites, they were instructed to put the blood of a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb on their doorpost. And then the angel of death would pass over them, which is where the term Passover comes from. So let's, let's fast forward now to Jesus. And this is getting toward the end of his life. It says Jesus was anointed at Bethany. In Mark 16, 4, Jesus replied, leave her alone. Okay, now what was happening was there was a woman there and she was a woman of, of ill repute. Um, but Jesus had changed her and she was weeping and anointing his feet. Anointing just means to, to cover them or to... to um, wash over them or whatever. And they, and the, and they were saying, if, if he really knew who she was, he would not let her do this because she's, she's got a terrible reputation. So she was just anointing the feet of Jesus and crying because he had transformed her. And so in Mark 16, it says, Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why would you criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. See, what she broke on his feet was this really super expensive perfume. And so, so they were like, what a waste. You know, we could have fed so many poor people with that money. And Jesus is like, hey, leave her alone. And this is what he says. She has done what she could and anointed my body for burial ahead of its time. Now, Jesus was only 33 years old at this time. So for him to be talking about being buried or even the thought of him dying was, was ludicrous to his followers. Well, what was happening behind the scenes was there was a high priest named Caiaphas. Now, a lot of people were seeing Jesus do miracles, and they were starting to recognize that he was the Messiah, which means the Christ or the Savior that was spoken of throughout the Old Testament. Everything points toward the coming of Messiah. Everything points toward Jesus. And so the Jews had been waiting for centuries for their Messiah to come. And so when Jesus came and started doing these miracles and people started recognizing that he was the Christ, that he was in fact God who came down in human form. And so the, the Jewish leaders were getting really upset about this. And the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, came up with this plot to kill Jesus. Well, Judas was one of Jesus's 12 followers or disciples. Judas was super greedy. And so when the high priests, the high council came to him and said, hey, would you hand Jesus over to us if we give you 30 pieces of silver? Judas agreed. And so Judas took the 30 pieces of silver, even though he was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his 12. 
So then they went to what's called the Passover, which um, every other year we do, a, we do a tenebrae service. Tenebrae means darkness in Latin. And then on the off years, we do a Passover Seder, which is an actual meal that the, that the Israelites did for centuries and are still doing today. But everything in the Passover points to Jesus. It's amazing. It's the first time I went to a Passover Seder, I just cried the entire time because it was such a beautiful um, picture of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. But what happened was Jesus and his 12 went and did a Passover meal. And then when they got there, typically in those days, there, were, there would be somebody there that would greet you. And when you'd walk in, because there was a lot of dust on your feet, because they, they didn't wear shoes like we wear today, and their streets were made of dirt. And they had a lot of animals, and so they would collect a lot of things on their feet. So typically, when you'd walk into a place, someone would get down, and the most menial task in those days was for someone to wash your feet. Well, it says in John chapter 13 that Jesus... Even though he was a rabbi, even though he was God Almighty, it says that he took off his robe and he set it aside. And he got down and he washed the feet of the disciples. He washed off all of the dirt and the dust that they had collected. And I always say that that represents life. That represents experiences and, and things that happen to us that we collect as we go about our lives. And this is so symbolic because God himself came from heaven, took on the form of a human being, and humbled himself to the point of doing the most menial task, which was washing their feet. And just, this is what Jesus said to them. He said, now that you know these things, he was talking about humbling himself and, and serving. It says, God will bless you if you do them, or God will bless you for doing them. He's saying, in the same way that I have served you, serve others. So this is all really symbolic. So they had their Passover meal, and um, Jesus, as they're sitting at the meal, Jesus predicted that one of them was going to betray him. Now remember, Judas had the 30 pieces of silver, in his pocket. And Jesus predicted, one of you is going to betray me. In John 13, 27, it says, when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. So Judas ran out. And the other disciples are thinking, well, you know, he, he held the purse. He held the, the money. So they thought, oh, maybe he's going out to buy something but he was going out to betray Jesus. Now keep in mind, all of this was spoken of in the Old Testament. Every single one of these things was a prophecy that pointed toward Jesus. So all of these things had to take place. This, this wasn't like this, this um, kind of, you know, just uh, kind of hit or miss situation. This was all foretold through the prophets in the Old Testament. And now as they're having their, their, their uh, Passover dinner, Jesus predicts his own death. Now imagine, you're one of his, at the time, 11 disciples. You're one of his, his chosen guys to hang out with them. The one, they walked with him for three solid years. And he's telling them, as a 33-year-old man, I'm gonna die. Now, he's been telling them, he's been giving them hints all along, but it says 
It says in Mark 14, 24, and he said to them, this is my blood. When he had them drink the wine, it says, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. And then he, and then he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. So, so the disciples were not catching on to this. He was letting them in on what was about to happen, but they were clueless. So, so then at, at the same time, Jesus is saying, Jesus predicts um, Peter's den- denial of him. Now, Peter was also one of the 12. And Jesus said, you know what, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter's like, what? No way. No possible way. And this is what Peter says. He says, why can't I come now, Lord? He goes, I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. Deny three times that you even know me. Now, this is what I want you to get out of the story. I I want you to understand, well, I want you to get whatever the Lord has for you to get out of this, but I want you to look for yourself. In all of these different characters, and as we tell the story, I want you to look and see which one of these is me. Which one of these characters is represented by my life? And I just think, you know, I mean, I identify with a lot of them, but, but with this... You know, you want to think, Lord, I would die for you. And you think, oh, I, I love God so much. I want, to, I want to be used by him and I want my life. But then when he asks us to do the simple little things, we won't even do that. When he asks us to love our neighbor as ourselves, we won't do that. Or when he asks us to lay down our life or he asks us to get down and humble ourselves and wash the feet. And Jesus, Jesus says this, he goes, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny that you even knew me. Can you imagine how that would sting Peter? Thinking, no, I would never do that. So then they, they left their Passover and then they went into Gethsemane. And they went in to pray. This was a, a common thing that they, they would often go off and pray together. But the disciples, I'm sure they overate because it was the Passover. And so they probably had this big meal and, and their digestive system was starting to work. And they all got so tired that they started to all doze off and fall asleep. And Jesus is like, you guys, can't you even stay up and pray with me for one hour? So Jesus goes away by himself and he talks to the father and Jesus knows. Now keep in mind, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And you can make a case biblically to prove that Jesus Christ is not just the son of God, but he is God in the flesh. He is God incarnate, it says. And Jesus goes and he's talking to his father because it's the human Jesus it's the, it's the flesh Jesus talking to God who the Bible says is spirit. Heavenly Father is spirit. And he says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. So then they're in there and all of a sudden, a bunch of soldiers come in and Judas and it says in Mark 14, 44, the traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You'll know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. 
Can you even imagine the most intimate sign of friendship? I mean, to kiss somebody, you have to be really close to them. And, you know, to, to kiss someone, you have to be quite familiar with that person. And yet this is how Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. It says you can take him away under guard. And this blows me away. And Jesus said to Judas, my friend. See, Jesus isn't like us. See, if, if, if someone, you knew someone was going to betray you, would you continue to, to put yourself out there for them? Would you continue to be friends with them? You'd be like, forget you. You know, who needs you? But yet Jesus even calls Judas his friend. He says, my friend, go ahead and do what you've come for. So Jesus was arrested. And what was happening was he was gaining in a lot of popularity, popularity and Caiaphas was not happy about that because Caiaphas knew that Jesus was doing miracles. And so he wanted to shut down this growing surge of popularity that Jesus was experiencing. And so they brought Jesus before the high council, before Caiaphas, and they had a trial. And, and they were asking him all these questions. And it says in Matthew 26, it says, Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of, get this, the living God. How ironic. I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you're the Messiah. Because this is what was, was rumored in the area. If you are the Messiah, the son of God, and Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus was telling them who he was and what this communicated to them was that he was letting them know that he was God. And they arrested him for blasphemy because they did not believe he was the Messiah. They did not believe that he was who he said he was. So as this is going on, Peter's in the, in the courtyard because he wants to see what's going to happen. And he sees what's happening. That He sees that Jesus is, is being abused and he sees what's going on. And so there's this, there's this young girl and she looks at Peter and she says, hey, aren't you with him? Aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter's like, uh, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then some of the other people started to go, hey, I, I recognize your accent. You're, you have a Galilean accent. You're, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? You're, you're one of him. And Peter's like, no, I don't know him. Second time. And then they all kept asking him, saying, saying come on, tell us who you are. If, if, you're, if you're with him, just let us in on it. And it says, and he starts cursing. Not the kind of cursing where you put a curse on someone, but the kind of cursing that if you say those words when you're seven, you'll get your mouth washed up with soap. <laughs> and and he's, he's, he's like, blankety blank and blank, I don't blankety blank and know him, basically. And then all of a sudden, there it is, three times. And it says, at that moment, Jesus turned and looked right at Peter's face. He looked right in his eyes. Not in a, told you so, but in a, 
these things are coming to pass. And it says, and Peter went out and wept. Can you even imagine? So then Judas starts feeling some, some angst. And so he's feeling really guilty about the fact that he's got these 30 coins. And, I, you know, there's so many varying ideas about how much money that was. Anything from, you know, $600 up to, you know, 12000 I mean, I saw all kinds of different sources. But it wasn't enough. I can guarantee you that it was not enough to justify what he did. And he was so, he felt so horrible that he ran back to the high priest, threw the money into the temple and said, I can't keep this money. He knew Jesus was innocent. He knew Jesus had done nothing wrong. And so then he went out and it says, and he went out and hanged himself. And what happened was at the time, the high priests were like, oh, great, we got the money back, but we can't really do anything with this. So they went out and bought a field called the Field of Blood or Akeldama. They went out and bought this field. So then they realized that they couldn't really try Jesus, so they handed him over to a guy named Pilate. Now, Pilate is a really complex character. He was, he was with Rome, and he really thought that Jesus was, was building this insurrection. And so they bring Jesus before Pilate. He's the Roman guy, the, the main guy. And Pilate says, so you're a king, And he's kind of, you know, like, he's really intrigued by Jesus. And Jesus responds, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All, get this now, this is really important. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. See, he is, he is just telling it like it is, that if you are really called of him, that if you love the truth, then, you will, then you'll recognize what I say is true. And so Pilate's like, well, what is truth? And then it says, he went out again to the people and said, he's not guilty of any crime. He's not guilty. I can't crucify this guy. And, and the ironic thing here is that he says, what is truth? And, and Jesus who says of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus himself is truth in the flesh. And Pilate doesn't recognize him. So Pilate's wife comes in. It says, while um, just as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, this is Matthew 27, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. So Pilate's wife is all stirred up and she's like, you cannot do anything to him. I had a terrible nightmare. And so at the time during the Passover, they would always release or not Passover. I shouldn't, that's nothing. Never mind. They always released a prisoner. And so they were asking, should we release he asked, should I release this guy, Barabbas, who was like a murderer and an insurrectionist and a, just a horrible human being, or should I release to you this Jesus who calls himself the Christ? And the crowd's like, Jesus, crucify him. And I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Passion of the Christ years ago. There is a scene where, where the crowd is, is starting to get agitated and they're starting to say, crucify him, crucify him. They want Jesus dead. 
And so Pilate releases to them Barabbas, who's a known murderer. And in the, in the Passion of the Christ, when I saw that scene, and I mean, Barabbas is just like this disgusting, you can just see he's just pure evil. And he runs away and he's laughing. And I just wept because I knew that I was Barabbas. I knew that I was guilty. I was the one that should have been punished. I was the one who, was, who should have been tortured and beaten and abused for my sins. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to make this about me, but I'm telling you, I am so grateful for the grace of God because I was so broken. I was a, a, a bulimic and I was a drug dealer and I was a pothead and I was promiscuous and I was a compulsive liar and I was a thief. And just those were like my good qualities. <laughs> no, I should make light of it. <laughs> but when I saw Barabbas leave, I mean, literally, I was so happy that the music was loud because I was wailing, like I was sobbing, because I knew it should have been me, that Jesus paid the penalty for all of my sins, everything I'd ever done in the past, whatever I do now, and whatever goes toward the future. And I was so blown away by that. Because it's so, it seems so wrong that this innocent Jesus who lived a perfect life would be the one who would have to be crucified. And so the crowds, um, it, it says, Pilate responded, what should I do with Jesus who's the Messiah? And they continued to shout, crucify, crucify him. So the, the Roman soldiers take him out. They mock him. They put this purple robe on him. They get, a, a, they get some of these thorns at some plant I had never heard of before, but they, they twist it. Have you ever gotten like pl- a, a rose thorn? How much does that hurt? Imagine having a crown of thorns around his head and they were pressing it into his head and they were beating him and they were spitting on him and they were mocking him. Oh, he's the king of the Jews. And they were laughing at him. And they were, it says they were even pulling out his beard. They beat him beyond recognition. It said you couldn't even tell who he was. They beat him and mocked him. And then they made him carry his cross. He, he was beaten within an inch of his life and they made him carry his cross. And when they went in, they saw a guy named Simon the Cyrene. And they said, here, you come and you carry the cross. And I just believe that that's so symbolic, that, that Jesus calls us to carry our cross daily. He says, take up your cross daily. Take up that place where you're going to lose your life. You're going to die to yourself and you're going to live because I have lived. And I believe that si- Simon of the Cyrene represents the Holy Spirit who comes alongside us, comes to help us once we make that decision to pick up that cross, that Simon is, or the Holy Spirit is right there with us. So then Jesus was taken up to Golgotha and crucified between two thieves, an innocent man between two thieves, and they, they started, you know, asking Jesus these questions. I mean, they're hanging there for hours and hours and hours. And one of them is just mocking Jesus. And the other one says to him, hey, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now the two thieves symbolize those who believe 
and those who don't believe. The one thief believed. The other thief didn't believe. And so Jesus said, he spoke seven things and they tried to, you know, give him this sour wine and he refused it, which was also a prophecy that had been given. And before he breathed his last, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he died. And there was a Roman centurion there. And he said, this man truly was the son of God. He recognized who Jesus was. And it says, it says, um, then Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy man, he was actually kind of underground. He was one of the, the Pharisees and he um, was very wealthy and he said he wanted to go take Jesus's body and he had a tomb. And so it was, it was set aside for his family, but he took it and they wrapped him up and then they set Jesus into this tomb. And then they had some guards and they bribed the guards and they said, we do not let anybody come because they're going to try to say Jesus was raised from the dead, but don't let him. So they bribed these guards. And then guess what? Guess what happened? Ooh. Yeah. Jesus was resurrected from the dead on the third day. What that means is Jesus was dead, okay? Three days later, he was resurrected from the dead. And so they came to the tomb. These women came to the tomb. They came and, and they were talking among themselves and they were coming, you know, because they were, they were devastated. They were so confused. Now let's imagine, put yourself in their mindset. You're thinking Jesus is the Messiah. He is going to come and he's going to take over the world and we are all going to be raised up with him. This is what they're thinking. They're thinking Jesus is going to come in power and instead he comes in humility and, the, and his followers were so confused by this. And so these women are going to the tomb, which I think it's interesting that, that it was women that were the first ones to get there. And they, and they get there and they see that the stone has been rolled away. Now, this isn't just like some little stone. This is like a massive stone that has been rolled away. And they saw an angel and the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Woo! He already told them. But yet they're like, wait, I I can't grasp this. And so so they're like, uh, okay. So they're like, we got to go back and tell the other guys. So they're running back to tell the disciples and Peter. I always think that's funny. They always say, go tell the disciples and Peter. I don't know why they separate him. I guess because Peter was beating himself up for denying Jesus, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, the women, the women are, are walking along. And all of a sudden, there's this guy. And he's like, he, he says to Mary, he goes, why are you crying, woman? Who are you looking for? And she goes, don't you know? Haven't you heard? She goes, listen, if you're the gardener and you did something with his body, please let us know. Please tell us. And all of a sudden, Jesus spoke her name, Mary. And she recognized him. Ooh, imagine that. When he speaks your name. When he speaks your name, there's power behind that because of the power of his love for you. 
because he is so crazy about you. He is so madly in love with you that when he speaks your name, it is sweet and you will recognize it. And so the women are walking along and, it, and then Mary Magdalene is just like super excited because Jesus has, has totally delivered her. She runs back and she tells the other guy, she goes, I've seen the Lord. And they're like, okay, Mary, you're hallucinating or you're hormonal or something. There's no possible way. We watched him. He was beaten. He was crucified. But then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up to his disciples. Now we, we blow past this. Oh yeah, Jesus appeared to his disciples. No, Jesus appeared to his disciples. The guy who was beaten beyond recognition, who was crucified, who breathed out his last, who died on a cross, shows up. And, and all of a sudden there was a guy there um, or wait, John 20, 21. It says, again, I say to you, peace be with you. As my father has sent me, so I am sending you. And there was one of the disciples, you've heard of the term doubting Thomas. Thomas was like, you know what? I am not gonna believe it until I can see the wounds in his hands and in his feet and in his side. I'm not gonna believe it. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up and he shows him the nail pierced hands. And Thomas goes, my Lord and my God. And what that means in the original is my Lord, my kurios. It means God almighty and my theos, my God. He's not saying like my, you know, my rabbi or my teacher. He is saying you are God. And then his disciples, when they saw him in Matthew 28, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But get this, some of them doubted. Can you relate to this at all? You worship him, but you still doubt sometimes. You doubt that he is who he says he is. You doubt that he can heal that relationship, or you doubt that he can bring your spouse to the Lord, or you doubt that, that he can um, reconcile things in your finances, or you doubt that he cares about you, or you doubt, you doubt that he forgives you. I mean, you still worship him, but you, you sometimes doubt. It says in Mark 16, 14, it says, still later he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together and he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. He rebuked them for their doubt. And some of us today, we doubt that he is as good as he says he is. We doubt that he is the king of all kings. We doubt that he is our resurrection and he is our life. And Peter preached in the book of Acts and he said in Acts 2, 24, God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in its grip. Woo! It says in 32, it says God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. And then Peter's words pierced their hearts. And he said to them and to the other apostles, brothers, what are we to do? And Peter says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the Holy Spirit who Jesus said he would send to be with us when he left the earth, when, he, when his physical body ascended to heaven. He said he would leave us his Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. It lives in us. But it says for every one of us, you must repent of your sins, which means change the way that you're living 
and turn to God. So you don't lean on your own understanding anymore. You trust in God, and then you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, now we're going to get into a a little section here. We're going to kind of blow through it. It's the case for the resurrection. This is in 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. Good news. That's, that's what the word gospel is. You welcomed it then and you will stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some of them have died. It says, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Now imagine this. Jesus was raised from the dead and they're all trying to say, no, they came and stole his body or they did this or all those people were hallucinating or whatever. No, they... You cannot deny the resurrection. You cannot deny that Jesus was raised from the dead. It has been the biggest controversy. More people have tried to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any single other theory in history, both non-believers and believers. And no one has been able to refute that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Amen? How would you get 500 people to agree to lie? Or how would you get all of these different people from all over to have the same exact story? You couldn't because it is true. And in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 16, it says, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is useless and you are still guilty in your sins. But in that case, all who died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope, now I want you to hear this. For those of you who are believers, I really want you to hear this. Because this is what it all comes down to. It says, it says if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we're more to be pitied than anyone in the world. If Jesus forgave you and gave his life up for you just for this life, with all of its trials and testings and troubles, it says we are to be pitied more than anyone else. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. This was written only months after Jesus' death and the witnesses that had seen him and every one of his disciples. Now get this, if this was all fabricated, if this was all a lie, the resurrection story was just to try to mess people up, why would all of his disciples be martyred for his name? Some of them were crucified upside down because they didn't think it was even worthy of, of being crucified the same way that Jesus was. One of them was boiled in oil. I mean, this is... This is not something that you would just choose to do if you're just trying to, you know, pretend like, oh yeah, Jesus raised from the dead. These people were serious about what they believed. And in John eleven twenty five, Jesus told, told this woman, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even if they die. 
So this is what it comes down to. And a lot of you have probably heard this theory, but this is so good. So Jesus Christ can only be one of three things. Can I invite the worship team to come back up? We're going to sing one more chorus. Either Jesus was totally lying about all of this, and he was a brilliant strategist. Either he was just a complete liar, or he was crazy, because he claimed to be God. Or he really, truly was God in the flesh. You know, it says, in, it says in the Bible, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. And, and if you've never heard this message or you don't understand this story, you, you don't understand why this is such a big deal to Christians, why we celebrate the resurrection from the dead, hear what the Spirit is speaking. Because I do believe that there are those of you who are here and he is, he's drawing you and he's telling you what, what you've just seen, that's the truth So I want to ask you, who are you in this story? Who can you relate to in this story? Do you relate to Barabbas like I did? Or to Peter? Who even when you stumble and fall, you're always like, Jesus, I won't ever do that again. I won't ever do that again. And then he forgives you and you feel the forgiveness and then you do it again. Or are you like Mary? He's right there with you and you don't even recognize him. Or some of his other disciples. Who are you like? Who can you identify with in this story? And what are you going to do with this truth? Because, again, Jesus is not dead. He is still alive. He has sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. So what are you going to do with that message? Are you going to continue to believe that you can just go about your life and not have any kind of consequences or ramifications, even though now that you've heard the good news, the good news is that you have a savior, that he went to the cross. He died for you so that you wouldn't have to be punished for your sins. And if you don't know if you're a sinner or not, let me ask you this. Have you ever lied? If you, if you said yes, then it's, even if, if we had only done one thing wrong, one sin, we are separated from a perfect and holy God. And that is why Jesus Christ came to earth and dwelt among us. And he took on human form and lived and paid this, the price so that we could be free. Because it doesn't just stop with forgiveness of sins. He has called us to freedom. It says it is for freedom Christ has set us free. And the Bible even says the truth will set you free. Guess what? Jesus is the truth.